G'day you mob, I'm Pete, your host at Aussie English. Welcome to today's GOSS episode. So today I have the pleasure of sitting down with my old man, my father, Ian Smithson, and chatting about the week's news, which includes the recent drama with the rights to use the Indigenous flag in this week's AFL Indigenous Week. We also talk about peregrine falcons nesting on high-rise buildings in the Melbourne CBD. You can actually see these on YouTube. There's a video going full-time, so check it out. It's pretty interesting. We talk about kookaburras being invasive species in other parts of Australia, including Western Australia and Tasmania, and whether or not they should be culled, and how climate change is allowing this species to spread. We also talk about interesting magpie facts. So, a new book on magpies has just been released and it's full of interesting facts. And there was an interesting article about four of these facts that you may not know about magpies. We talk about other bird stories like why emu males are the ones that take care of the eggs and the woman or the female just buggers off. And then lastly, we talk about the night parrot and how it's recently been discovered on Indigenous Matu land in Western Australia. This is one of Australia's rarest birds. In fact, I think it's one of the rarest birds in the world. And it is incredibly interesting because it lives on the ground and is active at night. Anyway, without any further ado, guys, smack that kookaburra. Hopefully not an invasive one. And let's get into it. Uh, did you want to mention, uh, too, what's happening with the Indigenous flag and um, Oh, yeah, that was AFL one of the stories story. that I was going to talk about. Yeah, man, um, bring it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Indigenous flag with the black sky, the red earth and the yellow sun. Uh, beautiful flag. Uh, it was first designed uh, 30 or 40 years ago now. In the 70s, I think. Uh, yeah, by um, Harold, I can't remember his surname now. Uh, doesn't matter. But. It's turned out it's just become the symbol for Indigenous people across the country. Um, it's just a generic symbol that the whole of Australia has grown to love and honour, not just Indigenous people, but yeah. everybody sees that flag and goes, yep, this is related to our Indigenous people. Um, but rightly so, the person who first designed that owns the copyright on it, but oh, he sold the rights to <laughs> use it. He still owns the copyright. You can't uh, hand okay. it right over to someone else. You know, uh, he can't ever say, I didn't design this. Yeah. <laughs> but he signed over the right to use to a fabric manufacturer who <laughs> manufactured flags um, to do it. And that's fine. If what he wanted to do was to say, well, I'm going to get, I can make some money out of having a particular manufacturer design flags. But this manufacturer now says you can't use that, fla- that symbol at all. Um, and it appears that the designer is either complicit in that or he is joining them in saying, well, you can't use it for anything. Did, did they uh, say you can't use it or they said you can use it, but you're going to have to pay? You got to, you need permission and the permission yeah. means you've got to pay. But is uh, it a reasonable and, you've got to pay or it's a very yeah. unreasonable you've got to pay? <laughs> yeah, well, I, don't, I have no idea. I, yeah. I think... I don't think it's, it, now, it has now come down to cost. I think it's come down to, and the, and the side that I sit on is, I don't care whether it costs me a cent or $1,000. I'm not going to pay it to use a symbol that is now part of our culture. It's like the Australian flag that's sitting up behind you. Um, that was designed by a person. I have no idea whether that, per- that person probably, and I'm ashamed to say I don't know enough about the history of that flag, but I suspect that was designed probably in a competition. The person who won the competition probably received a few pounds um, in our currency at the time um, as a prize for, uh, for doing that. 
but nobody says that you can't manufacture that flag that you can't draw that flag on the ground to represent Australia at a sporting event. Is that because the person, even if they would have had the copyright in the past, they'd be well and truly dead by now anyway, so... Possibly so. It would be out of Um, copyright, wouldn't it? Exactly. But nobody... The the point I'm making is that nobody owns the right to national flags. Um, True, but is that that a national flag? Yeah, no, but but then it's that... Well, I think it is a national flag, but it, it comes down to... It's and it's not like somebody else couldn't have designed it. It's a very True. simple design. It's but like putting same a patent, time, on, right? patent on something that yeah, a hose to draw to pull water from one place to another one. Thousands of people had did it, but yeah. I'm not disputing the end of the, the artist's yeah. copyright on it. But when you're saying to and the reason it's come up this week is because it's indigenous round in the AFL and traditionally the AFL instead of having the corporate sponsors logos on the ground you know painted on the ground things they will paint the center circle on the ground with the uh, indigenous flag uh, and they will use it in marketing and doing all those sorts of things to make the point this is in because it's a it's a symbol of our indigenous people's culture in the country the copyright holder and the owner of that is now saying you can't do that yeah and i look at it and go fine you might, if you really stretch it, say that if I'm going to have a flag, that, that flag and wave it, it has to be manufactured by the company that owns the rights to make those flags. I still think that's ridiculous, but if that's the push that it comes to it. But to say to a sporting organisation, you can't paint this flag on the ground is just ridiculous. It's no longer a flag. It's a symbol. Mm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I really struggle with this idea. And, you know, I'm an artist as well. I'm a photographer. And if somebody stole my art and started to make money out of it, then I would yeah. question that. And that's but, what I would imagine the, that would be my argument. Imagine it's an, an indigenous artist today creates some symbol that they're selling. And then all of a sudden it gets adopted <laughs> by a large population of people who want to use it. Yeah. And this person is making royalties from it. And then someone says, well, you don't own it anymore because everyone loves it. And you'd be yeah. like, screw you. I still made this thing. It still yeah. belongs to me. Yeah. I'm the creator. Whether, it's, whether or not it's a simple, you know, <laughs> blue flag with nothing else, you know, well, it's I mean, you probably can't blue, do that. But it's the right <laughs> shade of blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, Cadbury has uh, that. Cadbury purple. purple right. Yeah. right. They've trademarked the color. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, but that, that would be me playing devil's advocate. I think, yeah allow anyone yeah. to use the flag but, who wants to uh, use it. I, th- this will be an interesting one because this is the first year that there has been a big deal made of it. Yeah. Um, last year was a bit of a hoo-ha, hoo-ha, but this year it seems to have have grown enough legs to uh, to go somewhere. The, the other challenge that I have with it is that the company that owns the rights to use it is a non-Indigenous company. Mm-hmm. Um, so they paid, presumably, for the rights to, to the copyright holder to use it when you've got a whole lot of other Indigenous people now who have grown up. It's not like these are people who are in their 70s, 80s or whatever. These are kids who've grown up and that's their symbol. Yeah. That's their... It's almost like they're not a national flag, but the flag of their culture. And they're being told they can't draw it on the ground. They can't, you know, put it on a T-shirt. They can't... Well, I guess at least commercially, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um I suspect that what will happen, what I hope happens, I actually just signed a petition uh, earlier today, is um, to the, the government will actually buy it out and then you make reckon? it freely available. Do you I, think they'll I, I don't do see that? why not. Yeah. I think they will. Um, yeah, they'll, there'll be some, you know, it'll take some pressure you know, to do it. But I think this is so big. It's one of those ones that's so big that and it is so easy to do. Yeah, 
I have no idea how what sort of money would be you'd be looking at to do it. But let's say let's say at the completely outrageous end, this company and says says for the rest of the life of this company for the next hundred years, we could probably make a hundred thousand dollars a year just out of selling the rights to do this. Pay us ten million dollars now, and we'll go away. I'd say yeah. here's your ten million dollars, go away. <laughs> because the alternative is that it ends up in court and then nine of those $10 million goes to legal firms yeah. <laughs> and they'll end up getting a million dollars. I guess it's a good, so, it's a good symbol too, a good, a good um, act is. on behalf yeah. of... Yeah, I mean, if, I, if I remember a parliament at the moment, I would be putting a motion to the next sitting of parliament to say, we need to negotiate and pay for this and give that flag to the Australian people. Because it's not just Australia, it's not just Indigenous people who now use that flag. It's Australians who choose to identify and not as themselves as, as culturally Indigenous, but identify their organisation as culturally aware um, and having Indigenous involvement in them and so on. How many you know, universities um, all fly that flag? Now, they have the right to do that because they bought the flag and whoever they bought it from presumably had the right to do it. But... Uh, the fact that you can no longer actually as a university say, well, it's not a matter of buying the actual flag. What they're probably saying now is that you can't even put that symbol on a website without yeah. permission to use it. And, you know, seriously? <laughs> Just invert it. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly well, change you know, the colours. Don't think you even have to do that. I think it's just one of those things now that reality is if everybody in the AFL Unfortunately, I know why they did it, but they, they folded and just said, well, we won't use it. Yeah. If the AFL, the NRL, universities, major corporations around Australia just said, stuff it, we're going to do it anyway. Take us to court. Take us to court. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we can afford to sit in court for the next year and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to lawyers. Can you? It'd be a tough game too, you'll to get play. Your payout. Yeah, yeah, you'll get your payout eventually. You're going to become but, the most hated company in Australia. Of course they would. So why they don't just go to the government and say, look, yeah. for a million dollars, we'll back out. Yeah, that's whatever it happens to be. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's crazy. So I take it that wasn't your puppies and kittens story though. That was. Wasn't my puppies and kittens? No, that was the idiot of the week one. So. <laughs> puppies and kittens. Um, the story of uh, there's a building in Collins Street in the city of Melbourne, 367 Collins, that has a um, a ledge on one of the upper floors that peregrine falcons have been nesting in for uh, years. I've seen this come up and recently. Yeah, they um, and a couple of years ago they they actually. Yeah, they used to just roost there. Then they nested there and they grew uh, chicks and they fledged. So they successfully bred there. And this was an endangered species. It no longer is. It's still threatened, but it's not endangered. Doing better. Um, Thanks to Collins Street. Thanks to Collins Street. Yeah. And, but <laughs> the, um, the building was renovating uh, because they needed to go through and do all this stuff. But there was a, an organisation that helped the renovators of that building maintain this one little shelf on a high-rise building uh, to keep the nest in there and the birds have come back and they're nesting in there again this year. So they were doing um, that between so, seasons, obviously. Yeah, they obviously going to come in and nest here. They'll roost all around. There's, a, there's at least one pair and I've seen, you know, I've never seen two of them. I've seen one at a time anyway um, around the city and there may well be more, but... Um, there's at least this pair that flies around and they will roost on a variety of buildings, but they found this one spot to nest a few years ago and then it was you know, going to be destroyed, not deliberately, but the renovation of the building would have meant that it was changed 
um, but it's now you know, been maintained and the birds are back there nesting again. And there's now a live website. Although I was going to oh, ask, is that on video? There. Is it on video? Yeah, it is. Actually, yeah. do you want to, uh, here's, here's the challenge. Can I share the screen? You can try. Most disabled screen t- sharing. You're going to have to not. share a screen or give you the website. Hold on. I'll see if I can, I can do it. Uh, I, I'll give it to you anyway, because that way people can pick it up if they want to. I've just made it's, you a host. Hold on. There you go. You're uh, the host. Oh, I'm the host. The video. That's bloody dangerous. Um, all right, share screen. Here we go. Three, six, seven, colon stretch. Click share. Boom. Let, let me Aww. know when you can see it. I think, and there's a bird on there. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. I think it's it's delayed because if you look at the time clock at the bottom, it says ten thirty a.m. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's delayed today, broadcast, and it is today. Yeah. So it's a spire. Yeah. Okay. So that's looking across the Yarra across River. Across the Yarra River. To- yeah. Yarra, not Yarraville. What's it called again? South Bank. So that's yeah, that's South Bank, um, and the King's Domain and the Botanic Gardens in the background, and the spire there is on top of the Art Centre. Yeah, that's really cool. What's the little box? There it looks like a kitty litter box. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they, they <laughs> put this box in there um, as part of that. Yeah, because just stick the box in, and it look, does look like kitty litter, and it probably is. Yeah, because uh, these birds traditionally they don't build stick nests. Yeah, they, uh, they basically just find a little bit on a, you know, traditionally on a cliff um, and uh, just sort of scratch around and stuff and lay their eggs there. So It's really yeah. cool to see peregrine falcons just hanging out, right? Because you probably don't ever really get to see them this closely based on this video. Yeah. And it's just sat down in, yeah, the, in the nest. Sat down. Beautiful. But they, are they one of the only um, birds of prey that have really kind of adapted to city life to... to you know, urbanization of their environments? Because I think it seems to be a common pattern that you will see peregrine falcons in big cities. Mm, there are. And I've, I've seen one um, out the uh, top of the Empire State Building uh, when your mum and I went there a few years ago. Yeah. And we were, we'd, we'd booked our tickets early um, and you, you don't book times. You just basically book a ticket and then you turn up. And we got there. That I think it opens at 8 o'clock. We got there at 7.30, but we'd booked the fast queue, so we didn't have to stand in the, the ticket queue. Um, and so we just sort of raced ahead. And we were two of the first four people to go up, and we bought the tickets to go up to the second thing. So there's the main thing on the Empire State Building, which is, you know, 100 and something floors up, and then there's another much smaller place that you've got to pay extra to get up to. And we paid the extra to get to that. And it's tiny. It's up in the spire, effectively, of the building. And standing there, and there's a, a peregrine falcon hovering in front of the window looking at me. And I'm just going, this is in the middle of New York City. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the Empire never- State Building. So, um, but they, because I think it's because they nest on cliffs. Yep. So they, they try and nest high up. And obviously, we've built a whole lot of concrete and glass cliffs for them. Um, and they're perfectly happy in them. Do you want to talk about what their prey are too? They're bird eaters. Yeah. Uh, they catch birds on the wing. They're the, the world's fastest animal. Yeah. Uh, when they can, they can actually dive. And because of the uh, aerodynamics of the position they get themselves into when they're diving, they, uh, they can fly or fall um, at faster than the you know, normal speed that something they're terminal they're velocity and, uh, terminal velocity yeah thank you for filling in the gaps um, yeah so faster than terminal velocity up to three hundred kilometers an hour two hundred miles an hour they can fly uh, and if you've ever heard one catch you can't hear them flying they're silent you know, yeah apart from this sort of very you know, slight whistling but if they're doing yeah you know, flying at two hundred kilometers an hour plus 
Um, it's, you know, you're not going to hear it for very long, but I've actually heard them, heard a, a falcon catch a bird in air once. Yeah. And or is it just it, thunk? Yeah, it's basically just <laughs> thunk. Because they kill it on impact, don't they? They do, yeah. That's yeah. what they rely on. They're, they're, just, they're just soaring at them. And right at the last microsecond, they just stick their two feet out with their talons um, and collect the bird at 100, 200 kilometres an hour. Um, and obviously their legs and things are structured so that they're reinforced that it doesn't damage them. Yeah. Uh, and then they just fly off. Do you want to kill share screen? Yeah, all right. Here we go. So you can see our pretty mugs again. But that is crazy that it's it's there and just just chilling out in the middle of the city. I remember there are some people whose jobs it is to go around to cities and use them to scare away pigeons from pooping on statues and buildings and stuff because I think their poo is corrosive. Um, So it ends up causing damage, especially I imagine if it's like, you know, sandstone or something. And so they have to use these birds to scare them off and get rid of Mm -hmm. them. I had a bird story for you. The kookaburras that are appearing in Esperance in WA. Did you see that? No, I didn't. So, the nation's largest bird survey, I believe it's BirdLife Australia, has logged its first ever record of a kookaburra in WA in Esperance. Kookaburra in Esperance. Yeah. So, apparently, kookaburras are a pest species in Western Australia, which I had no idea about until I was reading this article. They were introduced there... Um, from the East Coast back in the year 1896 and reached Albany, which I guess is a little bit further east from wherever they were introduced in WA. Uh, South. Perth. Okay, southeast. And and in Western Australia, all your Western Australian listeners will be going, it's not Albany, it's Albany. Albany, all right. Good on your Western Australia. Everybody else in the universe would call it Albany, but yeah. So they got there by 1960s and yeah. yeah, since... This week, there's been no previous record of them being in Esperance. So, some locals right. well, were is a few hundred kilometres east of Albany on the south yeah. coast. Yeah. Well, there were so lo- locals that were running around and they looked out of the corner of their eye and saw one sitting there and were like, "What the hell? We've been here for 22 years and we've never seen one." <laughs> um, yeah. So, they're wondering though if it's going to be cause for concern in these areas for native species because you know kookaburra sitting on an old. Um, what's what's the the song? Kookaburra sitting on oh, a gum tree. A gum tree, yeah. And they they're hunting. They sit there. They're little pounce and hunt predators that effectively wait above the ground and wait yeah, for animals to move. Snakes, mammals, and birds. reptiles. Yeah. Exactly. And so they're worried if if they're going to be a big problem or not. Um, mm. And I think well, it's the not a problem if there's only one of them. No, well, that's it. But they, I think they were making an argument for a cull potentially. But instead of just trying to wipe out the entire population over there, focus on the expanding front um, eastwards so mm. that they don't get into, what is it here, the Great Western Woodlands, which right. is 200 kilometres north of it's Esperance. north of there. Yeah, they're worried yeah. that, about them getting in there. But the interesting thing is when they sort of started talking to some ecologists, I think they were making the argument that, well, there are already a great deal of magpies and butcher birds and these other animals that fill the same so niche. competing with them. So yeah. they may not necessarily exert more pressure on the native animals as, that are prey items, but more on the other predators. But who yeah. knows? I also didn't realise the other story to go with this one was that Tasmania has um, kookaburras as well that were introduced there yes. in the early 1900s. And mm. so I was reading an article talking about them being a bigger problem now in Tasmania because of climate change, making places in the south, southeast warmer and drier so that they're more easily able to um, get into these 
environments and mm. the, the vegetation is less dense now so that they can hunt more easily. But apparently this article was saying in a letter in um, 1944 to a Tasmanian paper, a reader claimed credit for the kookaburra's arrival, saying he released the birds in 1902 after having the misfortune to be bitten by a snake. So he, he I was say saying... I he wanted to cull snakes. <laughs> indirectly. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be a great please to me while riding around to see... While riding around the run to see a jack fly into a tree and start bashing a snake's head on a limb. Yeah. I didn't know the kookaburras had the nickname Jack. Yeah, yeah, Jackies. Really? Um, Laughing yeah. Jack. Laughing Jack, yeah. But yeah, so interestingly, they're, they're spreading because of climate change further throughout Tasmania, and again, they're worried that they're going to be a potential problem for native animals mm. um, because they're very aggressive and they're these perch and pounce predators that, go for pretty much anything that they can wrap their beak Any, around. Anything, right? anything that is small enough, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing I think they were saying that, ironically, you have a lot of Australians, well, obviously, in Tasmania and, and Western Australia who love kookaburras, and so they feed them and mm-hmm. give them meat and seed and encourage them to come in and, and obviously prop them up and allow them to live more, more yeah, readily exactly. in these places. But the interesting thing is, too, they survive apparently really well in disturbed environments. So, again, like with um, the peregrine falcon, well, it's just, I don't know about it being a disturbed environment helping it, but it happens to do well in cities. But like a lot of species, I think a good example recently was an eastern brown snakes do really well now because um, farms have cleared land and there are lots of rodents on the farm, so the eastern mm-hmm. brown snakes explode. It's the same thing with kookaburras where with um, urban sprawl and the disruption of, of um, dense forest, there's cleared land with sparse trees that they can sit in and predate upon whatever animals that come by. And obviously, they're not specialists, so they don't no, really exactly. need one and specific animal. They're not as common as magpies, but they have very similar behaviour in that yeah. sense of um, adapting very well to suburban environments. So you don't see them in urban environments, but you know, out in the suburbs where you've got trees in backyards and park areas and so on, you know, they're, very, they're common. They're not they as were common, common as in magpies. Canberra. In Canberra, they were all over the shop because, yeah. they, because Canberra's yeah. put an emphasis in the new um, estates and everything or the new suburbs to put trees, leave well, the old yeah, trees. They're very treed. Yeah. yeah. So that was, yeah, that was an interesting one about kookaburras. The more you know. Mm. We need to do the same thing with platypi, see how they go over in WA. <laughs> and maybe, uh, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> need water. <laughs> so what about you? Any more stories? Or are we going to the last one here that I've got? I've got two more. Um, bird related. Uh, go with, I, I've got one. This is a, another, uh, not American bashing, but another little American story that's been running for a long time. <laughs> And that is uh, Laurie Lachlan and her husband, Mossimo Giannelli, I think. I can't remember how to pronounce his name. Giannelli, I presume it is. Uh, Laurie Lachlan's an American actress who uh, she and her husband have now been found guilty and sentenced to prison for um, bribing and paying someone to help their children cheat to get into university. Oh, that whole thing. Yeah, Yeah, there was some massive racket going on, right? There was, and they were just part of it. They weren't, you know, they... They weren't the ones who were directly doing it, but they were part of the scheme they, of paying these people. Didn't they pay it. something like half a million dollars half to a million allow dollars their daughter to, have to get their, into Harvard their or children um, put on a, a fairly given scholarships to go to university as part of the rowing team when they yeah. weren't actually rowers. Uh, <laughs> so Yeah, that's right, because there was a coach. I think it was the, the coaches were the ones that were kind of lining up these scholarship deals 
where they would go to famous people and say, I can get your kids into Harvard or into yeah, XYZ, yeah, you know, expensive was, university or college. Another, a, you know, a well-known university in Southern California called the University of Southern California. Yeah. Well, that's it. And he was effectively saying, I can just put them on a team, give them a scholarship, pay me half a million dollars and it's done. And yeah. you're just like, you bastards. You are the, the ridiculous thing well. is that, and the reason they do it, you know, half a million dollars would probably have paid for their two children to go to the university, but they never would have got in exactly. on, a, on an academic basis. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, it's one of those just think, weird things of how... I, I just don't know how you don't see you're going to be hated go. by everyone the moment anyone finds out, because I think the reason that it got out, wasn't it, because the kids were sort of flaunting it? I remember there being a story about some girl on Instagram, I don't know if it's this this person's daughter, but <laughs> boasting about the fact that she's not a rower, got on the team and it got into this college and it kind of burst the whole thing open and you're just yeah, like, I know. what were you expecting that your, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers were going to give you a high five for getting, you know, <laughs> hey, a way to everyone? cheat the system. That's my position at the university that you got. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. Yeah, fuck I know. You. Yeah, it's bizarre. You just, you know, that's, it's that if you've got money, the entitlement that you think you have have to effectively buy anything. Like I'm going to buy my children's position at university, but yeah, fine, go and find a private university that will take your kids and take your money. It would have cost you less than half a million dollars, but clearly they live in Hollywood. They wanted to keep their kids at home, you know, go yeah. to you know, a well-known, you know, highly regarded university in California, um, and we can just cheat our way in. But it doesn't seem to be... It's you didn't weird. see that this was going to be a problem? I think Billy Connolly has a joke, right, about the super toffs versus yes. the, the V-neck pullovers. Yeah. And he's always joking about... The funniest about, 20 minutes of, of comedy ever, that's Yeah, story. but he's, he's effectively saying the super toffs just don't give a shit. And they're just normal people. Yeah. So it's kind of like what you would imagine talking to Bill Gates. You know, he's yeah, not, he's got nothing to prove. He doesn't it's care. The new money. It's, it's the, the new money that's always trying to prove themselves and be like, mm. you know, accept me, I'm rich as well. And you <laughs> can imagine they're the ones who get up to this, but you see billionaires like Bill Gates and um, Zuckerberg, for example. I think Bill Gates is saying, he said something in the past where he's like, I've put a million dollars in a trust fund for each of my kids and they get nothing else. Yeah. The rest is going to be donated because I don't want them to be spoiled brats. Yeah. And then you have Zuckerberg, the same sort of thing. Or like, I don't even give them devices to play on. They don't have iPhones or that sort of stuff. Yeah. Steve Jobs is and another one like that. He's giving away, what, 95% of the value of the company, um, Facebook, in his daughter's name yeah. rather than giving the money to his daughter. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, and at that point, what does so, it what does it matter, right? Whether well, yeah, you give away billion, ninety five billion. Yeah, you give away ninety five percent of a few hundred <laughs> billion dollars. I I don't think she's ever going to be wanting the money. That was the first half of this episode of the Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again, thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace.